0: Welcome into NSN Daily here on a Tuesday, brought to you by the Dolan Auto Group, Chris Murray and Brian Samudio here with you. Um, Walt Hopkins is going to join us in the next segment. Uh, Reed High School graduate, former Reed coach, just literally less than 10 years ago, now the head coach of the New York Liberty of the WNBA, gonna join us here, and he literally sitting down, he's taller <laughs> than I am, sitting down. <laughs> yeah, do. he's a very tall He's man. a very tall individual, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're gonna be really excited to talk to him. Nick Rolovich is the next head coach at Washington State, so, uh, once again, Mountain West continues to uh, bleed coaches, especially yeah. head coaches. Um, LSU, they are your national champions mm-hmm. of college football, and uh, the Astros, and what's going to happen with Alex Cora? We're going to get into that a little bit. So Chris has zero opinions <laughs> about Major League Baseball. So uh, we're we're, we're going to lot about 20 <laughs> minutes for that segment. But starting off, Nevada against Wyoming tonight. Uh, this is a Wyoming team that's
1: not good. <laughs> uh, then they're,
0: they're not great. They they're, they don't. I mean, Maldonado does everything for them, but. Uh, uh, he doesn't have a lot of support.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a team that really, really struggles. I mean, they're 2-15 and 15 in their last 17 road games. Uh, they've lost 21 of their last 26 Mountain West games, and 17 of those have been, come by double digits. I guess the one positive is they did just take UNLV into overtime. Mm-hmm. So uh, while they're 0-6 and six in Mountain West play, you know, last time they hit the court, they were competitive, so maybe they're feeling a little bit better about themselves. But this is 100% a game that if Nevada comes to play, if they're focused, uh, if they're into it, they should go out and win this one by double figures. And that's really important with the the stretch that's coming up. But, yeah, Wyoming, uh, just offensively, very, very many struggles on offense. Yeah. Actually, defensively, they're fine. I, uh, you know, they're not a great defensive team, but they're capable defensively. Uh, but they just have one guy who scores in double figures. So there's just not a lot of help on the offensive side. Uh, and as they come into this game they come in as you know 14 and a half 50 point underdogs so you know Nevada massively favored uh, and should be able to win this game pretty comfortably
0: if you're Wyoming and you go all right you know Maldonado's going to get us 18 points tonight um, do you go after Nevada's bigs because Nevada's bigs have have struggled staying in the basketball game and they, mm-hmm. Wyoming has a big guy a big sophomore named Hunter Thompson who's uh, who is a Wyoming kid i mean this is typical Wyoming rosters are kids usually Fort Collins Denver Colorado Springs and They recruit Wyoming very well, and then kids from kind of all over the place. But um, Hunter Thompson, big 6'10", 6'11", kid. Do you attack Nevada's bigs? How do you try and go, all right, if you were – you had the the whistle and you had the, the clipboard. How would you attack Nevada? Yeah, I right?
1: mean, that's the weakness for Nevada, right? It's the front court. So I think you do want to get the ball to Thompson. I mean, he's, he's like a legitimate big guy. He's 235 mm-hmm. pounds. He's not one of these really skinny guys who likes to play on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. He's really the only big guy in their uh, rotation outside of him. They are a very small team and they get pounded on the glass. So if they can get him going uh, to go along with Maldonado, maybe they have a chance in this game. But I really think uh, Wyoming's, key to winning this game is just the pace. They play very, very slow. They yeah. want to play games in the 60s, maybe even the 50s because they want to limit the number of possessions because they can't just go blow to blow with teams like Nevada offensively. Mm-hmm. They don't have the three-point shooting. Uh, they don't have the ability to get to the free throw line. So they're just going to try and slow this thing down and get it into the 60s. They've only hit 70 points four times this entire season. Yeah. Uh, you know, And when they have hit 70, they're 3-1 in those games. That's three of their five wins. So uh, you know, the key for them is just not to let Nevada get going because yep. Nevada wants to get in transition, they want to move the ball, they want to hit some threes, they want to push the tempo. Uh, If Wyoming lets that happen, they're not going to have a chance in this game. So they just want to make it dirty, they want to make it ugly, Uh, they want to use all 30 seconds of the shot clock, they want to not turn it over. So that's really going to be the key for them. If they can keep this game in the 60s, they've got a chance. I just don't think they can keep it in the 60s. I think Nevada's going to have a run offensively at some point in this game. To where they're going to really open it up
0: if you're nevada what do you want to fix about yourself or at least use this opportunity to fix about yourself the thing that still glares at me and i hate to keep harping on it but it's get to the free throw line Mm -hmm. i mean nevada only got to the free throw line 20 times last game and utah state was there i believe 35 38 40 times somewhere near there so get to the free throw line be aggressive and get inside and and keep your your bigs out of foul trouble but if you are coach alford what would you like to see your team Use this opportunity. One, you got to get a win. You can't overlook yeah. anybody. Wyoming's got a dozen kids on scholarship too. Mm-hmm. What would you want to fix?
1: Well, I think the big thing in this game, if you just look at the matchup, is the rebounding. Nevada was out rebounded by 15 in the first game. Wyoming is one of the 10 worst rebounding teams in the nation. They're being out rebounded by almost eight uh, boards per game. So that's going to be big for Nevada. I mean, Wyoming's offensive rebounding is, is astounding to me. When I looked it up, I thought it was a typo. They're averaging. Four offensive rebounds per game, yeah. 10% of the misses they grab. The second worst, of the nation's up at 17%. So they don't get any kind of second chance points. So I think rebounding will be big in this game. But from Nevada's perspective on a macro level, I want to see them have more, more diversity of offense. It's mm-hmm. just all threes with this team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a good formula when you are doing the other things. And, uh, you know, they go out and they hit 40% plus from three against San Jose State. They hit 40% uh, from three plus against Utah State and they still lose those games because they're just not getting enough from any of the other facets of the offense. They're not getting second chance points. They're not getting to the free throw line. They're not scoring close to the rim with their big guys. So, uh, you know, continue to shoot your threes. I have no problem with shooting 25 to 30 threes per game, but they need to get more help from from the front court. I mean, the front court over the last three games literally has more fouls than points. So that's Robbie Robinson, Zane Meeks, KJ Himes, John Carlos Reyes. Uh, they need to be a little bit more productive. Yeah, Nevada's not counting on them to go out and. Get get 10 to 15 points per game but they need to do a little bit more offensively to help those guards in the backcourt and then jazz johnson's uh you know had a a couple of rough games on the road trip Mm -hmm. lindsey drew probably played one of his worst games ever at utah state in a nevada uniform so getting those guys back on track just start to feel good about yourself because they're going to san diego state over the weekend and you're probably not going to feel too good about yourself heading into that game if you do lose to wyoming if you lose three in a
0: row and then you're going to a top 10 team in the country that hasn't lost this season talk about four Completely different environments yeah. over a week and a half span, two week span for Nevada. You go to San Jose State where there weren't 500 people in the gym and you lose. You go to Logan where it's a raucous environment. Uh, Julian Delgado and Alex Margulies said it wasn't as nasty as last year's. Julian said but he said it was still it was still what you expect out of a Utah State crowd now you come home and this is probably the biggest crowd Wyoming will have played in front of all season long you haven't played in front of a big crowd mm-hmm. you know hopefully tonight everybody's going to show up and you know Nevada gets a good crowd at home and then you go to Viejas and Viejas I mean, uh, you can't keep saying the word nasty, but, you know, Viejas is nasty plus two. It is, it is yeah. a very loud, it's, like you said, it's built into a hole. but, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a much bigger environment, granted, than the Spectrum or, or even San Jose State. But, uh, yeah, Viejas, uh, the fans, the students especially, they, uh, they know who to chant at and uh, what to chant at them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really fun game when they go to San Diego State and they'll get to test themselves against that higher ceiling kind of team, Uh, but they need to come out and take care of business against Wyoming. And Mm -hmm. I think that was an issue when you look at San Jose State. I mean, Coach Alford talked about he didn't like their energy. He didn't like their effort against San Jose State. and Maybe that was the first time all season he felt that way. So it was Nevada looking forward to playing Utah State and having that bigger challenge ahead. They can't do that in this game. Yes, they're at home against Wyoming. Yes, Wyoming doesn't win on the road. Yes, Wyoming hasn't won a Mountain West game. But like you said, they're more than capable of winning a game. I mean, it's a one-game sample size. They can go out and beat Nevada, and then you're on a three-game losing streak heading into San Diego State. So while that is a big, big game, and I'm sure Nevada's players are very much looking forward to going there, because that's literally the only place in the Mountain West that they have not won since joining the conference in 2012, they need to come out and not just beat Wyoming. I feel like they need to come out and really thump Wyoming. Mm -hmm. You know, start feeling better about themselves again, be able to put those two losses behind and be able to continue to win at home i mean this is a team uh that has won 12 straight mountain west home games. so this is a team that really has done a good job in conference playing at lawlor event center uh, and they should be able to continue to do that in this game if this is a close game uh, i think that's alarming because Mm -hmm. this is a team that nevada should go out and beat by a lot of points
0: all right so it's going to be nevada and wyoming tonight at lawlor event center 7 p.m tip off three four eight pack to get your tickets or go to nevada will pack Dot com. We'll have uh, reports from uh, Julian Delgado, Alex Margulies, and Shannon Kelly over on our sister station news for tonight at 11. Of course, NevadaSportsNet.com, and it's going to be televised on CBS Sports Network. If you'd like to check it out, Nevada, a 14-and-a-half point favorite over the Cowboys at Sports Books. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, he's the head coach of the New York Liberty out of the WNBA. Walt Hopkins, Reed High School graduate, will join us here on set next. Welcome back into NSN Daily, brought to you by the Dolan Auto Group. Uh, you know, I'm, the gentleman that's joining us right now, Walt Hopkins, one of only four, a very, very small fraternity of people that are head coaches of a professional franchise, head coach of the New York Liberty and the WNBA. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Tell me about I this process it. and how you got to that.
2: Well, uh,
0: I mean, we're not going back to 30 yeah. years. <laughs> just had, <laughs> take me through the last few weeks or a month.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been a whirlwind. You know, to be mm-hmm. honest, it's it's been, uh, it was not unexpected, but it caught me by a little bit by surprise mm-hmm. because I've been an assistant for three years uh, in Minnesota. And then I was an assistant prior to that uh, for a season with the Tulsa Shock. I was a player development coach. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I expected it to be a few years in the future. So when, you know, calls started coming in, I was starting to get a feel for the fact like, wow, this is, this could actually materialize. Um, it just, it turned from being surprising to really exciting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now to the point where you know the, the surreal stuff for the most part has started to mm-hmm. die down, and now I'm kind of in the in the motion, calling players and you know talking to agents and right. things like that. So well, yeah, fun stuff, it's, right? it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> it actually is. It is. I yeah.
0: would imagine recruiting your players and getting your people. Le- Let's get to the picture first. Look at this. <laughs> I mean, I, when when you look at that picture, what does it really has it really hit you that you are going? You're the head coach of the professional franchise in the WNBA in the largest media market in the country.
2: Yeah, it's kind of uh, important. It's the same thing I would say to the players Mm -hmm. about uh, focusing on what you need to do more than uh, focusing on the gravity of a given moment, you know, and I think probably there's going to be points where I look back or or I have a a moment of clarity where I'm like, wow, you know, but for the most part, all I've been focusing on is what I need to do. And, uh, you know, maybe I need to do a better job of taking in some of this and smelling the roses, you know, but but for the most part, it's been just kind of nose to the grindstone already.
0: You are a Reed High School graduate. Let's get to Chris's list of uh, the four yeah, that are that from many. northern Nevada, uh, including Winnemucca. Muck's on this yeah, list. So
1: uh, Matt Williams, the Carson High alum, coached the Washington Nationals. He was the manager yeah. there. Uh, Ray Hanley, who was a Reno High graduate coached the New York Giants in football, actually replaced Bur- Bill Parcells, and Bill Barry had a two-game stint as the Chicago Bulls interim coach, so I don't know if we're going to fully count him. He's from Winnemucca. I'll give it to uh, him. But I mean, it's pretty it to crazy. Him. I think <laughs> only, <laughs> to only, only four it. people have come from this area and become a you know head coach or manager at the highest level of professional sports. When did that become a, a goal for you? I mean, you were coaching high school at the assistant level you know, seven, eight years ago, yeah. and, and to be able to get here this quickly is pretty crazy, but was that always a goal for you growing up as you wanted to, to go on the coaching side?
2: No, I, it was teaching to start. I wanted to teach, and that's actually what I started my first graduate degree when I went to Harvard. It was for teacher education, um, and then I got into the classroom and I realized how much I missed coaching. I realized how much I liked the medium of coaching um, in terms of the way that you can deliver feedback. Kind of the intimacy of the relationships is just much different, you know, that you can have in, in coaching, especially with basketball. You get so close with people, you know, and you really get to get into them, uh, dig into the psyche and things, and really help them, you know, not just on court performance but off court. So. Um, no, it, it, it wasn't a, always a goal, to be honest. It was more so something that I thought might happen as a result of hard work. And if I did a good job, maybe it happens. But again, it was kind of staying in the moment and focusing on doing really well at, at what I was doing at the time.
0: What has it been like for you just so far? The, the goals that I, I would imagine the, the terminology we use for a lot of people is you're drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> I mean, what's it been yeah. like so far? And, and do you have to just kind of compartmentalize things and go, all right, that's done, let's move on to this?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, both drinking from a fire hose <laughs> and compartmentalizing. <laughs> yeah, right, I think right, those right. are those are both accurate terms. Um, yeah, the the main thing that I've been focusing on is just th- the next thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of always how I've done things. Uh, being an assistant in Minnesota was really heavy work. I mean, it was really really heavy workload, and um, so it, this isn't fortunately this isn't new to me because I I feel like I've been prepared for this, and you know, getting to do graduate school and things like that. I, I'm kind of I do better when I'm really busy. Mm-hmm um so it's just what's the next thing what's the next thing if i start forecasting four or five months into the future then you start to feel a little bit of panic in your stomach you know so it's like i just what do i have to do today and i do it and then i move on
1: uh you guys are moving into the barclays center liberty's first year playing in brooklyn your dad was born in brooklyn so what was his reaction a very good basketball player what was his reaction when you got this job in this specific location
2: he you know he's a He's a really cool guy. Like, <laughs> he's just a really cool, laid back. He's just how he is. And he was so excited. It was one of the times that you know, I've really in my life, I don't think I've ever seen him get that genuinely excited. It was a really, you know, it was a proud moment for me to get to you know, be a part of that, um, through creating that for mm-hmm. him. He also told me to do the Uncle Willie at the Brooklyn Bridge. I don't know if you guys know what the Uncle Willie is. It's <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with that. It's a little, it's a little dance where you do this okay. with your feet, and he said, go to the Brooklyn Bridge, do the Uncle Willie. Okay. You know, that was his celebration for me. So, awesome. yeah, was, that was a pretty exciting. Follow him on Twitter. Thing. You can see him <laughs> on Facebook. Go find the Uncle Willie dance. fantastic.
0: What kind of a team do you want to field? When you look at, okay, this is the type of personality, physical personnel, what kind of a team do you want to field in New York?
2: Well, we're, we're loaded right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I come into a team that wasn't particularly successful in the win-loss column, but uh, loaded with just really talented young players. And one of the things that I've kind of hung my hat on as a coach um, coming up the ranks has been development. Mm-hmm. It's been, like, like I was just saying, the mental and the physical development. Um, this team really has a handful of players that are capable shooters. Um, they can put the ball on the ground. They can get to the rim. Uh, Everyone's a capable passer, I mean, so the style of play that I'd like to see and that we're planning to implement, we're thinking of all the ways we're going to do this right now, is we really want to spread the floor. Um, We want to shoot as many threes as possible because I think this is a team that's loaded with those shooters, and maybe they didn't take enough of those last year. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of mid-range shots. Um, And so one of the goals is going to be to spread out the floor, share the ball, and make sure we knock down a lot of threes. You guys also get the number Mm -hmm.
1: one pick in this year's draft. I'm sure you can't talk about specific players, but there is a pretty good player uh, coming out of Oregon. I mean, how much of a carrot was that just knowing that you're going to be able to add a really talented player to your roster?
2: It was all all icing on the cake. You know, um, it's exciting. There's no doubt about it. Um, uh, It's not something, though, that was a a big determining factor for me in in terms of the job. You know, a lot of the questions have centered around Barclays, um, you know, moving to the new arena, you know, being in Brooklyn, things like that. And they're all phenomenal and exciting, and they're, they're going to be great pieces of what we do. But the, the main thing that um, excited me most about this job was the people. Mm-hmm. I got to know the people throughout the hiring process and um, knowing the reputations of some of the players on the team and, you know, and f- through different players and you know, having them be friends and me being close to some of them. Just hearing all the people in this organization, um, that's, that was the biggest reason why I thought this was such a good fit.
0: They're talking about one of the original WNBA franchises. They've been to the uh, WNBA Finals four times and never been able to hoist that trophy. What would it mean to you? I mean, uh, I'm not putting pressure <laughs> on you here, but apparently I am. What would it mean to you to be able to bring that type of success to a franchise in a market where, you know what, uh, It's everybody in the, in the Big Apple loves a winner. But yeah. uh, they've never been able to get over the hump.
2: One day at a time. <laughs> one day at a time, man. One day at a time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not going to be uh you know uh, the the primary focus yeah. out the gates. I yeah. mean, the primary focus out the gates, developing a culture and consistency, and um, creating an atmosphere where people want to be every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's first and foremost uh, the thing that I think the staff and I really want to implement. Um, yeah, I mean, to be able to hoist a trophy is, you know, I mean, I got to w- I got to actually be a part of a championship in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I actually hoisted the trophy. <laughs> I don't remember, but I, you know, I have a <laughs> ring. That's fun. Um, so you know, I've gotten to be a part of that. I've gotten to feel what that feels like, and it's it's a pretty remarkable thing, and it, it's hard to describe. Um, to get to be uh, the person who at least lays the foundation for something that grows into that, that would be uh, otherworldly. Of
1: course. Yeah. Born in Carson City, but uh, raised in Sparks, going to Reed High. What was it like growing up in Northern Nevada with our basketball culture? You Paul uh, played for Paul Gray, who's going to be a Hall of Famer down the road. Right. I mean, a very yeah. famous coach in our area. Just growing up as a kid here, uh, what was what was life kind of like?
2: Yeah, uh, it was such a good place um, to grow and to kind of develop into the person that I am now. There was, there was so much room to go different directions, um, support everywhere in the neighborhood and, and you know, with people that are now kind of institutions in this town. Um, and it's, it's a unique hotbed of uh, basketball coaches. I don't know if you guys know that I mean, between Aubrey McCreary and Todd Troxell lived here and Jason Glover and Dustin Gray, there's all these people who have ties to the NBA and the WNBA. Mm-hmm who are from this relatively small place, you know, and so it's, um, there's something here that allows, that cultivates um, that type of, you know, attunement to this sport, which is really cool, and and obviously for a smaller area, we've had a lot of great professional athletes come Mm -hmm. out of here and things like that, so um, I'm, I'm just thankful that I grew up in a place where I had the ability to go whatever direction I wanted to.
0: You talk about pro athletes coming out of our area. It's a perfect segue. This guy's going <laughs> to be a GM or something. Um, Gabby Williams, to be able to see from day one, when Gabby was a seventh grader, I looked at her and I said, I'd love to see her go to Nevada. It's not going to happen. She's going to end up going to UConn. She's going to win an international championship. She's done all that. And now in the WNBA, I, you saw that from day one, didn't you?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I remember being asked. Someone asked me a question one time when when uh, Gabby won the state championship, and I was an assistant on that that staff. And somebody said, "When did you know that uh, that, that Gabby was going to win? You know, when did you know we were going to win this game?" And I was like, "When was Gabby born?" Because <laughs> 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 she really, I mean, she's obviously there were a lot of talented players on that team. I mean, it, it wasn't just her, but um, yeah, she's a she's a special one. Yeah. I mean, it's not just her athletic ability. Um, her basketball skill, uh, her intelligence, it's really the type of person she is. I mean, I don't know. Speaking of following on Twitter, mm-hmm. follow Gabby Williams. <laughs> uh, she is just a hilarious, down to earth, great personality. Just a, an amazing person. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't speak more highly. We still keep in touch. She's great.
0: Walt Hopkins, head coach of the New York Liberty. Congratulations. For Northern Nevada native, making us proud. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Best of luck. Thanks, guys. We'll have much more coming up here on NSN Daily. Nick Rolovich is now the head coach at Washington State. What's that going to change up in Pullman? Probably not much. Same personality as the last guy up there. We're going to talk about that next. <laughs> and it's in Daily rolling on. You know, 10-win season for Hawaii. They beat two Pac-12 squads, won a bowl game over BYU, and now they've lost their <laughs> head coach.
1: I guess that's the uh, bad part of winning a lot of games yeah. is that, uh, you know, Hawaii pays Nick Rolovich $600,000 a year going to Washington State, who paid their last coach, Mike Leach, $3.5 million Mm -hmm. a year. So as great as Hawaii is to live in, I'm sure, and as cold as Pullman is, Uh, if they're taking you from six hundred thousand to let's say two and a half million for Coach Rolovich, right. uh, you know it's very hard to turn that down. It's very hard to turn down the opportunity. And I'm sure this was difficult for Coach Rolovich because Hawaii wasn't just any other school to him. This was his alma mater. This yeah. was a place where he became a man. This is a place where he went there to be the starting quarterback. Uh, you know, got into some personal issues, partied too much away from the field, mm-hmm. uh, and had to win back the job. Had a record-setting, you know, uh, senior season, uh, and then was able to grow his coaching career there as an offensive coordinator and eventually become a head coach. So I'm sure it was very difficult to tell your alma mater, I have to leave. But on the other coin, what was he going to do that was going to be better than this season? They go out and win 10 games. They beat a couple of Pac-12s. They win the West. It's very difficult to win games in Hawaii when you have to have as much travel as as they have. So, uh, you know, I don't know that he necessarily hit the ceiling, but I don't think there was a lot more area for growth. So he probably wants to see, you know, can I do this at a Pac-12 school beyond just the money? Can I go out against really good coaches on the west coast and can i put together a program that can get into the top twenty five like coach leach did
0: i don't see coach rolovich selling his house in hawaii anytime <laughs> soon i mean that's always going to be a part of him um... the thing that's there there are two different things you can look at here is that if coach rolovich had wanted to and i'm not saying he might not go back to hawaii in ten mm-hmm. years or five years whatever happens um, you go to hawaii and if you're a guy like june jones and I'll put Nick Rolovich right in that same cusp, is that if you can go there and win eight games a year, you could coach there for life. Mm -hmm. He could run for governor one day if he wanted to. He is so popular on the islands. They absolutely loved Rolovich. There, but then you go and, and you get you cash in, and who can turn down 2.5 million and, and, and go to a Pac 12 school with that type of resource? But the possibility of if it doesn't work out in three, four years, you're going to get your head cut off, and that happens across the boards. We've seen that happen with uh, with Nevada coaches. Uh, you saw it happen with Trent Johnson, with Mark mm-hmm. Fox, and guys that leave and, and run into that problem. Granted, they're, they're making the type of money that sets you up as a family for lifetimes, uh, yes, yeah. so lifetimes. Uh, <laughs> Um, when it comes down the line but um, I, I really think that this is a probably if I'm Hawaii, is it a bad breakup? I don't know because, he brought Hawaii back to the level that June Jones had done. Yeah. So, where do you think Hawaii fans, administrators, obviously were very excited? and They're like, "Hey, you know what? He's one of our guys. We hate to see him go, but congratulations, best of luck to you." But if you're Hawaii fans, what do you? How do you think Hawaii fans There's are looking at There's going to be a
1: certain story? section that's upset. I mean, when Coach Musselman left, a lot of people here were very don't upset. Don't say that word. I, that's the thing. Like <laughs> literally, if you say his name on air, you'll get tweets saying, "We don't talk about yeah. him anymore." Yep. If you put his name in an article, we don't talk about him anymore. I don't think that should be the tack that fans take toward former coaches. You look at what uh, Hawaii did in the first four seasons they were in the Mountain West, 10 and 38, four and 26 in Mountain West play, Coach Rolovich comes, he goes 28 and 27, 15 and 17 in Mountain West play, wins you your first wish division title, beats some Pac-12 schools, gets you to three bowl games in four seasons, gets you a 10 win season. Like you should be very happy that he puts you back on that platform and gives you an opportunity to go and recruit a higher level coach. They're literally building a stadium in Hawaii uh, that's gonna be done in a couple of years. And I'm not saying Nick Rolovich is responsible for that, but there was talks when he took over of potentially killing that program. So the impact he had at Hawaii was gigantic. And I can see uh, being a little upset that you do lose your coach, but if you put yourself in those shoes, if someone's going to tell you, I'm going to, uh, you know, multiply your salary times five or six, what human being is going to say no to that? Absolutely. And what human being is going to say, I want to take myself to that top level and mm-hmm. see if I'm a good enough coach to do that? And I think this is a good fit for him. When you look at the personnel of what Mike, Mike Leach like to do. With the Air Raid, it's very wide receiver oriented. He's going to probably run the run and shoot, which very similar personnel. So I don't think there's necessarily going to be this big rebuilding season, just because the personnel should fit what he wants to do. And yeah, Pullman's not the easiest play to win place to win games, uh, but they have been to Rose Bowls with Ryan Leaf. They have won pretty high with with Mike Leach. So it's a place where you can go and win and potentially make another jump up to a, the next level, like Coach Leach did. So uh, you know, the curious thing to me is, is Nick Rolovich was on campus at Nevada after the 2012 season. Uh, Nevada didn't even give him an interview and now he's gone to Hawaii He's had success and now a Pac-12 team has said, uh, we want you. So mm-hmm. how much did Nevada make a mistake there by not at least including him in the search when they eventually settled on Brian Pullian?
0: The, the fit here to me is perfect personality-wise as well. I mean, in four seasons mm-hmm. in Hawaii, Rolovich went 28 and 27 as a head coach. That gets you a Power 5 job after a 10-win season and beating two teams in the Pac-12. Um, Washington State loses Mike Leach to Mississippi State. Mike Leach is one of the biggest personalities in college football. It's, it's you know, former sports uh, reporter here, Brenda Green, works up there as sports director. Congratulations to her up in uh, Spokane. And she absolutely just loves going to his press conferences because you don't know what you were going to get. Rollo might be kind of the same thing. I mean, we've had Mountain West football media days where mm. Rolovich. Wanted to show up with a monkey on his shoulder and <laughs> couldn't get a permit or something for it. Then had had an Elvis impersonator following him around. A Britney Spears impersonator following him around. That's the type of personality that fits in. At Pullman Mm -hmm. and and I think they got their guy. I think they got their guy.
1: It's I think it's almost more important now to sell tickets than to win games. It's the reason that Eric Musselman was a hot commodity because he was able to sell out Lawler Event Center. It's easier to win games than it is to fill up a stadium. Mm -hmm. I mean national attendance across the board, the athletic just had a gigantic story on it, so did Sports Illustrated is is falling. It's harder to get people to come out to games nowadays uh, and that's where a lot of the revenue comes for these athletic departments so having a magnetic personality like nick rolovich being able to engage with the community being willing to go out and do kind of different things uh, to get the spotlight on your program a lot of fans might look at that and say well you're just self-promoting which was uh, something that they use with coach musselman no they're trying to get people to come out to their games they're trying to get people to care yeah. uh, and that's very difficult a lot of these coaches they don't want to do that they just want to coach and win games and they just want to develop players and that's what the job used to be but I think it's changed so much because all of these games are on TV, it's harder to get people to come out to games. Now your responsibility is also to fill your arena or your stadium. And uh, it's not like Hawaii was getting 50,000 to Aloha Stadium, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Coach Rolovich was able to get people back interested in the program again, and following, like you said, a magnetic personality like Mike Leach, you need somebody who has a personality that people are gonna attach to. Uh, and he's a, that's why he's such a good recruiter. Mm. People really like Nick Rolovich as a human being. Uh, when we covered him, I really liked him as Absolutely. well, even though he's a Giants fan, I'm a Dodgers fan, we would argue about that. <laughs> But he's just a likable guy, a yeah. good guy, and a guy who's put a winning product on the field. So I think that's why he checked all the boxes. He yeah, had 28 and 27. Uh, you might not look at that if you're a fan and say, oh, that, that's a great record. But look what he inherited. Look what he built. Uh, look at how much he's able to engage with your community. Uh, and he's, he does all of those things that you have to do at a school like Washington State. This is not like going to USC. People are not just going to show up. This is not a premier power program. Uh you have to be a little bit different and he brings that different edge uh to Washington State that they had with Mike Leach.
0: Before we get a break, of course we gotta bring it back full circle and how does this affect the Wolfpack? Because you look around the Mountain West Conference, West Division, and it's like <laughs> San Diego State, ding UNLV, ding Fresno State, ding Hawaii, ding, yeah. all new coaches all across the boards. How do you think it affects Nevada now?
1: I mean, if Nevada's ever going to win a West division, that's now, right? I mean, you're talking about four of the six programs in the West hiring new coaches. The, the two that didn't, obviously, Nevada and San Jose State, which has won four conference games the last three years, so they're not typically a contender. All of these programs are going to be going through some kind of changes that, that are going to affect them. I mean, it, you would love to have a new coach step in and just get you to 10 wins. Usually it takes a rebuilding season, so everything appears to be set up for the Mountain West, uh, for Nevada, to to get to the Mountain West Championship Mm -hmm. game. They return a lot of talent on offense. There are some questions on defense and they're rebuilding their staff to a certain degree. Um, But you just have so much turnover at places like Fresno State, San Diego State, UNLV, and now Hawaii, uh, that Nevada's not gonna waltz to a West Division title, but things are set up for them to have a lot of success. Then you look across the entire Mountain West, six of the 12 coaches are new because the Mountain made two two changes. So uh, last year there were zero head coaching changes in the conference. This year, half of them are gone. Yeah. So it's how quickly things can change. Uh, and now seniority-wise, uh, Coach Norvell, the third most tenured coach wow. in the Mountain West uh, behind Brian Harsin, uh, Craig Bull, uh, and uh, you know uh, Troy Calhoun, so fourth, fourth uh, yeah. but, th- but the most tenured now uh, you know, on the West side. So a lot of changes, a lot of craziness, and, and all of a sudden, uh... Jane Arve is kind of the old old coach in in the conference Long in the on the twos. West side. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Coming up next year on NSN Daily. They have crowned a national champion in college football. The LSU Tigers, yep, they put a stamp on it last night. We're gonna break that down next. <coughs> well, it was a heck of a national championship game for I don't know two and a half quarters. and you you kind of saw what Clemson wanted to do to try and slow down you know LSU and LSU's LSU was just so talented on both sides of the football and they they really showed once they were able to flip the field because Clemson really had field position for for the majority of the first half and, and really able to keep LSU kind of pinned back but once LSU had decent field position Look out. Joe Burrow just kind of lit things. Not not kind of lit things up. Uh-huh. He lit things up. He was 31 of 49 for 463 and five touchdowns in this one as uh, LSU wins at 42 25.
1: Yeah, I mean, they put up 42 points on the best defense in, in college football. Yeah. This might be the best offense we've seen in college football, uh, you know, maybe since those Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, uh, Lindell Washington games. I mean, it, it was just phenomenal what Joe Burrow did this year. I saw that on Twitter saying he threw more touchdowns this season 60 than LSU through from the 2015 to the 2018 season (laughs) combined. So you're talking about four years uh, of of LSU offense and Joe Burrow tops that in one year. So it's just an amazing uh, season uh, for LSU, uh, an amazing season for Joe Burrow. I'm really curious to see how he will transition to the NFL. And uh, an amazing decision to hire Ed Ogeron. I mean, I was against that hire. I looked at what he did in his first stop in in the SEC at Ole Miss and it it wasn't good, Mm. like he was uh, horrible and to be able to have the conviction to say this is our guy he can keep the kids at home uh and then for him to be smart enough to hire a couple of offensive coordinators a passing game coordinator and Joe Bradley uh, or Brady who has a tremendous season this year uh you know just kudos to him for getting this program back to the level that they were under under Nick Saban and early in the the Les Miles era but Uh, Yeah, I mean, LSU deserved uh, to win this game. They were the best team all season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nice to see the best team actually be rewarded with the championship, and they did it out on the field and and really cut through both of the teams they played in the college football Mm -hmm. playoff. They were really non-competitive at the end of the game.
0: Looking forward 10 years into the future, if we could, do you see, I mean, you saw the hug there with uh, Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. Do you see those two guys becoming, possibly becoming elite quarterbacks in the NFL?
1: Yeah, I mean, Trevor Lawrence has everything you want. It would be curious if they were both eligible in the draft this right. year. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is only a true sophomore, so he has to stay one more year, even though he'd probably be the number one pick in the draft, so that's a whole nother can of worms. But uh, he just has that more prototypical size, mm-hmm. and we saw in the game against Ohio State that he has a tremendous amount of athleticism with that arm strength as well. So I think both of these guys are going to be very good quarterbacks at the NFL level. Uh, if you had to pick between the two, it's hard to pick against uh, Burrow. He yeah. was just so tremendous this year. And he's going to be walking into a Bengals team because they have the number one pick, who has A.J. Green. They've got, a you know, Joe Mixon. They've got a couple of weapons, um, and he's from Ohio, so that'll be a really cool mm-hmm. matchup as well if him to play for his hometown team. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to pick against the guy who looked just that good. Yeah. Like, he just looked so good. Uh, that I, 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 it's hard for me to say that Trevor Lawrence is going to be better than that. So if I had to pick, I'd probably go Joe Burrow. But I think if you ask NFL talent evaluators, they still put a lot of, of emphasis on having six foot five, six foot six uh, height. So I think Trevor Lawrence probably would go number one. But uh, it would be surprising if both of these guys are not starters for a decade, guys who can get to Pro Bowls, guys who can lead your team into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I would love to be in the Bengals war room right now, and they're all, okay, "Okay, Burrow, <laughs> O line, O line, O line, <laughs> wide receiver, wide receiver." <laughs> You know, I mean, they may not pick a defensive player in the first six, seven rounds of the draft because you got to protect him. We've seen what can happen to a young quarterback. If you put him into your system, Texans, and he gets the absolute crud kicked out of him, mm. it, it changes a person. Burrow right now has the poise of an NFL veteran. He just, I watch him play and he's never faced He's never faced but you got to protect him. And if you're Cincinnati, put weapons around him. And of course, what happened last night, LSU Tiger fans celebrated, went out into the streets, and they're lining up here to get the Go Tigers swag. Of course, you got to get your memorabilia. Chris, you got to get the uh, the championship gear and it went flying off the shelves last night. They're planning a celebration parade uh for Saturday in Baton Rouge and uh yeah, they're going to be partying in Louisiana for a while.
1: I was going to say if there's one area that knows how to party, that would be the Absolutely. region. Absolutely. I mean, they're really going to live it up and uh you know, it's nice to see a new face in the game mm-hmm. because it's been Alabama versus Clemson really for the last 5, 6 years. Uh, and Ohio State to me is always the team with the most talent is just can they put it together so to have LSU in the party as well is nice. I mean nobody wants to see Clemson versus Alabama every yeah. single year as good as those teams are. Uh, so a new team into the party we'll see if they're able to sustain it. That's yeah. the great thing about Clemson and Alabama is they've sustained it for a really long period of time and now with Joe Burrow going off to the NFL draft. Can LSU stay at this level? I mean, this is a championship that they should celebrate for months because uh, it doesn't happen very often. But if you look to the future, it's just can they stay at that elite level, which mm-hmm. we've seen Dabo Sweeney and, and Nick Saban be able to sustain their programs at that level. But uh, you know, you put a, a ton of money into your product, like the SEC does and LSU has, uh, and, and you get results like this. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a great night for them, and it's really cool that it was able to happen. You know, less than an hour away from their home campus down in New
0: Orleans. And we've talked about it on this show from. Uh, the level that Nevada is to national champions is being able to not just get to that that level, that pinnacle, but to cash in on it and to continue the momentum and to uh, literally go, all right, this is great now, but we want to be doing this in five years, in 10 years and to stay at that level. Because you talk about the times at Ole Miss, when Ole Miss was ranked in the top five, number one in the country, and now you kind of look at Ole Miss and go, well, they're <laughs> just old Miss. I mean, just what happened? Yeah. And will LSU be able to keep this, this sort of momentum and keep that sort of talent from that region saying, hey, I want a good LSU. They should.
1: I mean, that's the state where there's a ton of talent and you're really close to Texas. If they can just keep their kids in town and they've become so much more explosive on offense, even when Les Miles won a championship, It was very conservative offensive play calling and I think the addition of Joe Brady who came from the New Orleans Saints to become the the passing game coordinator completely changed what they were doing offensively and allowed Joe Burrow to have the season that he was going to have. And Brady has opportunities to go to the offensive coordinator position at the NFL level. A number of teams have sniffed around and he said he's going to stay at LSU. So that is a huge key to being able to sustain this over the long term is to keep these really good coaches in place. Maybe he becomes the offensive coordinator at LSU down the road. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, I mean they're paying their defensive coordinator $2.5 million. Right. So you ask, <laughs> I mean Nevada is supposedly at the same level as these schools. $2.5 million for an offensive coordinator or defense coordinator at LSU is more than Nevada pays its entire coaching staff, head coach, assistant coach, support staff and that's just a coordinator yeah. so that's that shows you how far of a jump it is uh to get up to that level where you're playing at national championship caliber football and you're putting that kind of money into it. it's why i've always been for the group of five splitter, at least have their own playoff because mm-hmm. it's not realistic for Nevada to play against teams like LSU. Uh, there was a team in the Mountain West, Utah State, that played LSU this year and they lost by about 40 points. Yeah. So it just shows you how different the game is at that top, top level compared to the level that Nevada's playing. All
0: right, Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Major League Baseball coming down hard on the Astros. Astros punishing themselves, but what's going to happen now with Alex Cora down the line? A lot of things to talk about coming up next. Astros owner Jim Crane quoted as saying neither one of them started this, but neither one of them did anything about it. When he's talking about the, the sign-stealing seal- scandal of the Houston Astros, fired their general manager, fired A.J. Hinch, um, talking about a camera out in center field and then signs being relayed via smartwatch or text messages And, uh, Chris, how do we even start digging into this?
1: I mean, it's just unfortunate. People have been stealing signs forever, and it's kind of an accepted part of baseball when you're just doing it from second base with your eyes. When you turn it into a technology thing, I think that's when you cross the line. Yeah. uh... you know stealing signs with a camera sending it to a computer uh... behind the dugout and then you're signaling to the hitter either with whistles or by hitting a garbage can the pitch that's coming you're taking it too far Mm -hmm. and it's not surprising that it happened to a team like the astros this is an organization that fired all of its scouts and turned to technology to scout players so they've been very heavily into technology uh... it's just a shame that potentially the two thousand seventeen world series was determined by cheating and Mm -hmm. i would say the mlb Uh, Handed down a very stiff penalty. I mean, $5 million is the most they're legally allowed to fine a team. First and second round draft picks for two years is a pretty big chunk uh, of young players that they're not going to be able to retain. And Jeff Lunau, uh, you know, is a tremendous general manager who's done a very good job of drafting. So he's out of the probably baseball forever. A.J. Hinch is probably out of baseball forever. So those are stiff. I'm. it sounds like it was a player-led thing mm-hmm. and no players were punished. That's my issue, okay. is that if the players were out there and they were pushing this thing, uh, A.J. Hinch says that he twice uh, damaged and broke the computer they were using to cheat, uh, and the players you know, went and got a new one and started doing it. How come the players are not being punished? Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, he is the head of the organization. The general manager and the manager are the ones who ultimately run the show, and if they're not putting an end to it, them getting penalized with the year suspension and then getting fired. Uh, I'm completely fine with. So it it, it is a shame that potentially the Dodgers lost the World Series because of some cheating. I mean, that's a a series that went seven games. Two of them were determined uh, in extra innings. The Astros won both of those. One little change uh, could have swung that series, but uh, I don't think you you take away the championship. That was my next question. A lot of people have called for that. What does that do? Yeah. I mean, you can't give the Dodgers the championship. Maybe you take it away from the Astros. But, uh, you know, the game was won on the field. It's funny. You go back to Game 5, Alex Bregman gets a game-winning hit in the 10th inning. Somebody whistles right before that. And now was he being signaled what the pitch was going to be from Kenley Jansen? Mm -hmm. Potentially. I mean, that was their signal system. And if you look at a lot of things, it lines up to potentially – that was a cheat, um, but I don't think that you take away a championship because the NCAA does that. And everybody still thinks uh, Louisville won the championship that they tried to take away because of Rick Patino's cheating. So I don't think you go to that step. Um, uh, as a Dodger fan, I don't want that World Series championship that way. Nobody's yeah. going to like actually think that it was won by the mm-hmm. Dodgers. Um, but MLB needs to put a crackdown on this. I mean, you can't have technology being used because that's in the bylaws. It doesn't say anything about, you know, s- seeing a sign from second base and touching your hat or something like that in the bylaws. MLB sent out a letter September 2017 saying, stop doing this, we just yeah. caught the Red Sox doing it, and they continue to do it, so they deserve to be punished.
0: How about Alex Cora? I mean, what we're expecting, a punishment to come down on the Boston Red Sox manager. He was actually mentioned 11 times in mm-hmm. the statement by Major League Baseball. I mean, a precedent has been kind of set. If you're the Red Sox, do you get ahead of this? What do you do? Yeah, I'd fire him. Yep. I mean, if
1: he was cheating with the Astros and now he's cheating with the Red Sox in the 2018 World Series, I get rid of him. Carlos Beltran, the manager of the Mets, also was involved when he was a player on the Astros. I don't want cheaters running my organization. Mm-hmm. That's just the moral stance that I would take. And is everybody trying to skirt the rules a little bit? Maybe. Uh, But this is the harshest punishment probably since going back to Pete Rose or the, you know, the Black Sox. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I wouldn't want that person running my team. I I couldn't tell my fan base and other fan bases that we're doing it the right way when Alex Cora clearly cheated with the Astros and now is being investigated for cheating with the Red Sox. You cheat in two different places. uh, Yeah, it's great that you won me a World Series, but I want to do it clean. That's how I want to win a World Series at
0: least. All right, coming up next here on NSN Daily, Chris Murray's threes. Keys to to victory and a prediction of Nevada against Wyoming. I'm guessing I think I know which way is leaning. We're going to have that next. (laughs) Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily. Three keys and a prediction. Chris, before every game, puts it out there. And this one, this one's probably not... This wasn't a brain bust. I'm picking
1: brain. Nevada to win. Wow. I'm going out on a win, <laughs> uh, but we'll go through the keys. Yeah. I mean, full focus and effort like that. I don't usually list that as a key because I that should be assumed mm-hmm. that you're going to come out and you're going to try I hard, hope so. but it's easy to overlook Wyoming. This is the worst team in the Mountain West. So Nevada needs to come in with the right mental mindset coming off back to back losses. They should have that mindset, but they also did uh you know i have to fly back on sunday and it's a quick turnaround with the game a day earlier so will they be fully invested into this game uh my second one is plus 10 on the glass at minimum i mean nevada should really crush Wyoming on the glass. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have a lot of very good rebounders. They're not a very big team. Like we said, they don't get any offensive rebounds. So the Wolfpack should be heavily advantaged uh, in terms of rebounding in this game. And the third one, get the game into the 70s. If Nevada hits 70, they probably win this game easily. Yep. Uh, as we mentioned, Wyoming has scored uh, 70 plus points in only four of its 18 games. They're so offensively challenged. That I can't see them getting into the 70s against Nevada's defense, uh, which has been pretty good this season. Uh, so, if they do those three things, they should win this game by a lot. I have them winning 74 to 61. So, a 13 point edge to Nevada. I see them getting into the 70s and I see them uh, ending this little two game skid.
0: A couple of things uh, home cooking. Get back home, take the deep breath, and soak up the love from Lawlor Event Center. You've been on the road for a week and taking some lumps. Go out and thump Wyoming and and have fun doing it Mm -hmm. and do the basics. Let's get back to basic basketball. Get to the free throw line, defend, rebound, take care of the ball, take some charges. I wanna see guys on the floor tonight. I wanna see guys with, with energy and loving to play this game that they've played since they were kids. Get back to basics, and uh, hopefully Nevada can come out with. I think it's going to be a double-figure victory. Uh, Nevada is favored by 14 and a half. I'm not going to touch that line if I'm a better. I don't think I would touch that one. San Diego State, number seven in the nation, at Fresno State tonight as well. But if you want to pack, it's at CBS Sportsnet, 7 p.m., or just go to Lawler Event Center. Mm-hmm. For Chris, I'm Brian. We'll see you tomorrow.